1: Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim
0: DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cutt. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, one of the great singers of our time enjoying the biggest success of her career is with us live in the studio, Nico Case. Plus, we'll be reviewing the new albums from the much-hyped English singer Amy Winehouse and hip-hop superstar producer-turned-rapper Timbaland. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for some music news.
2: It's an supply, and there is no reason why. I tell you it was all a frame. They only did it cause of fame. Who? EMI
0: EMI Less than two months ago, Apple CEO Steve Jobs called on EMI and the other three big record labels, Vivendi Universal, Sony BMG, and Warner Brothers to drop digital rights management software, anti-piracy software from all of its online music sales. This week, EMI complied with Jobs' request by saying, yes, we are going to drop all of those digital rights management DRM restrictions on our back catalog, basically sell our entire catalog to consumers with No restrictions at all. In other words, consumers will now be able to download songs from the EMI catalog, copy them as many times as they wish, and play them on any digital player. In addition, they are going to be offering these digital files at a higher bit rate. In other words, the sound quality of these files is going to uh, measurably increase and double the the bit rate per second. So, of course, this comes with a price increase. (laughs) We couldn't give this away for free. Jobs is going to charge $0.30 cents more per digital download. That's a pretty steep increase, from $0.99 cents per file to $1.29 per music Can file. Can I inject a bit of history here? Yes. Do you recall when compact discs were introduced? The
1: The pledge was, this technology right now is more expensive than vinyl LPs. Uh, it's going to take a while, but once it becomes the new standard and the sound's going to be so much better, the prices will come down to meet the level of what the vinyl LPs you're buying now are. Never happened. Music industry to this day has a million reasons for problems in the business. You know, and, and a big one was that it went from $10 to buy a vinyl album to $15 to $18 to buy a CD, and it never came back down. We are now seeing that in the realm of the digital download.
0: Exactly. EMI and, and Apple... Hailing this as a major step forward in in the music industry, and they have to because the music industry has been in a seven year decline of CD sales, as we've been reporting on Sound Opinions, and and this is seen as the future of the music business. But two interesting things about this press conference, uh, Jim. First of all, they're making it seem like we're giving consumers this big new development. In other words, you're, you're going to be able to get these music files. You're going to be able to copy them as often as you want. You're going to be sh- be able to share them with friends. You're going to be able to play them on any device. Well, they have a little thing called the CD that already does that. Well, yeah. I mean, and now they're charging us 30% more to give us something that we already have right. with, with a CD. Any any old CD will do oh, that already. That's absurd. I
1: mean, if, if I buy a tune for my iPod, I should also be able to play it in my
0: bathroom clock radio or whatever. Why not? Absolutely. And the second thing is what what is unique about this press conference jobs this is an emi press conference right they're making this announcement but jobs is up there as virtually a peer of the emi ceo eric Nicoli. in fact in some ways it's kind of like Nicoli doing jobs bidding i mean jobs made a big deal about calling for this two months ago saying remove these copyright restrictions from these digital files now Nicoli's making this announcement and he calls jobs in you know it should be pointed out that all digital music stores will have access to these restriction-free music files, but only Jobs and only Apple were part of this music conference. Yeah. So what is that telling you? It tells I mean, me that
1: Jobs thinks he's
0: Bono. I, I, think Jobs thinks, <laughs> I think Jobs thinks, and with good reason, that he's running the record industry right now. The record industry is, is turning Jobs and saying... You're the future, my man. Yeah. You, get, you get our stuff, and, and you get first crack at it. Well, there's still one huge exception here. What
1: is the jewel of the EMI catalog, capital EMI, the Beatles? Right. right? Still no Beatles. Why? What's going on with that? Why are there no Beatles available on digital
0: download? It's kind of surprising in some ways because you would think that the Beatles, being the businessmen that they are, would have taken advantage of this opportunity. But I think they're still very skeptical. As, As we have reported on Sound Opinions, the Beatles' Apple Recording Company and Steve Jobs' Apple Computer Company have been jousting about the name. That lawsuit was recently settled. Apparently, that paved the way for the Beatles to make their music available on iTunes. That has not happened yet. I have another theory. I think that they're going to want to see how this new
1: higher-priced download. So it's increasing from $0.99 cents to $1.30, right? Yeah, $1. 29. Uh, I, I think the Beatles are thinking we can get $1.50, $1.60, two sure. bucks a tune. That's what I think we're going to wait and see. And
0: and I think what we're seeing here, Jim, is a way overpriced product. I mean, instead of coming down in the price of an individual download, we're raising the price now? Yeah. I mean, it it seems to be a trend that's going in the wrong direction. I think if the music industry thinks this is the future by raising prices of digital files, they're absolutely wrong. People are still getting these they're still getting files for free on the internet. I mean, we're talking about tens of millions of files being shared every month on the internet, and that has only increased in, in recent years. I don't see this as a step in the right direction for the music industry.
2: They tried to make me go to rehab, I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come
1: That is Amy Winehouse, the opening track on her second album, Back to Black. It's called Rehab, as in, she ain't going there. <laughs> Apparently, by all accounts in the English press, the uh, 23-year-old London bad girl and soul pop sensation could use a little bit of rehab. She is a uh, hard-drinking, hard-drugging, hard-living nasty-talking woman. She, she's tough stuff. And uh, the English are in love with her. Greg, you know, it is often said that the United States and Great Britain are two countries separated by a common language. And uh, in culture, occasionally, we have these phenomenons that are huge in the United Kingdom. And, uh, you know, I just don't know how they translate in the U.S., if at all. When we were at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, a couple of weeks ago, Winehouse was definitely one of the biggest hypes of mm-hmm. the year. I didn't get to see her perform. I don't know if you did, but uh, her picture was every Where everybody was talking about this record It is the second record, as I said The first one was more on the jazz tip She comes from that, grew up in a a situation Where her family, a lot of her family members Were jazz musicians, she was steeped in it Let's hear a track from the album We're going to hear You Know I'm No Good Here it is from Back to Black On Sound Opinions
2: Meet you downstairs
0: Amy Winehouse with a track from her new album, *Back to Black*. It's called "You Know I'm No Good." Guess what? It's set in a bar, and it references <laughs> and it references Tanqueray. And Amy Winehouse—I mean, you think that's a stage name? I believe that's a real name, right, Jim? Isn't that I, her I given think so. name? I think so. Very bizarre. Twenty-three years old, she is all over the tabloids, as you mentioned in, in the UK, not only for her singing but for her boozing and her bad mouthing people all the time. And this record is full of uh, those true life tales. She's. She's doing a lot of bad mouthing here and a lot of regretting the morning after and there's a lot of booze in between. I do love the story about how she told Bono to shut up at one <laughs> of the award shows
1: uh I I pat her on the back for that. I got to say, I'm jumping on you. You're going to give
0: your opinion, but I I I hate this record. Oh, you know, I I didn't think it was as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought, <laughs> "Oh my god, this is going to be horrendous." Uh she's referencing all of these uh soul and girl group heroes from yeah. the 60s and 70s. Ray Charles, Donnie we, Hathaway. She was way too young to have uh, grown up with these artists. Uh, this is clearly a second, third-hand kind of reference that she's uh you know, mentioning people like Donny Hathaway, and she's uh, referencing a Billy Paul song, and, and and she's trying awfully hard to sound like the Shangri-Las, and her producers are enablers in this. I mean, they are totally conjuring up these uh, early 60s to late uh, early 70s soundscapes that were very much associated with that sound, that girl group sound, that soul sound of that era. Mark Ronson in particular, as, as one of the key producers on this record, he's done a lot of really important work in the last couple of years with a diverse group of artists, really nice work, but this sounds like a slavish imitation to me. It feels like this 23-year-old woman from England playing dress-up, and I can't get over the fact that, oh my God, she's she's trying to sound like Nina Simone, but she hasn't yeah. lived Nina Simone's life. No, I, I'll tell you, there's a, tr- a line in that song we just played, You Know I'm No Good,
1: that, that sums it all up for me, where she says says, by the time I'm out the door, you tear me down like Roger Moore. And it's <laughs> a very Shirley Basie sounding, classic 007 yeah. era soundtrack, right? But now, if you're gonna drop Bond's name, (laughs) you you, you mentioned Sean Connery, right? not Roger Moore, so everything throughout this album is a little bit off, it's just a little wrong, and her apologists in the British press, and now it's spreading to the US, a lot of critics are saying, she's schooled in hip hop, she name drops Slick Rick, as well as Donny Hathaway, Right. right? right, right. so so it's really a hip hop attitude, it's not retro, it is retro, she's trying to be Nina Simone, she's trying to be Shirley Basie, she's not sultry enough, or subtle enough, or original enough to even walk anywhere in those people's shadows. It's it's, it's a transparent, retro shtick,
0: you know, and I just, I think it's a trash it record. I think this is a total rip off and I don't understand what all these critics are seeing in this record. Back to Black, a trash it record all the way.
3: The most tender place in my heart is for strangers. No, it's unkind, but my own blood is much too dangerous. Hang and run the ceiling half the time. Hang and run the ceiling half the time.
0: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that's a little bit of Nico Case. Nico Case having a great year. Fox Confessor brings the flood. Her fifth album has produced a tour that has been going on for about a year now, selling out shows all around the country. In the second half of this year, she will be touring with her other band, the New Pornographers, not too shabby of a band itself. Nico Case having an incredibly busy year.
1: Nevertheless, Greg, she found time to stop by Sound Opinions with two of her bandmates and play some tunes and uh, have a chat
0: with us. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We are here with Nico Case and two members of her band. Kelly Hogan is here and Paul Rigby as well. Welcome to the show, folks. Thank you. Nico's in the midst of a uh, grueling tour here. Three nights at the Park West in Chicago. She's touring all over the country, still on a record called Fox Confessor Brings the Flood that was released last year. So, Nico, I guess it would be safe to say that this is among the most successful, if not the most successful records you've ever put out.
4: Yeah, it's definitely the most successful one I've (laughs) ever put out. Where it stands in the rest of the world, it's probably pretty meager. But for me personally, it's, it's not really like a, my thriller yet. We'll see what happens.
0: <laughs> no, it's, it was very well received. And I think we should start by the fact you are holding an instrument in your hand right now. You've mm-hmm. got a four-stringed guitar, which I believe is called what? Is it, that's a tenor guitar? It's a
4: tenor guitar, yes.
0: Originally a punk rock drummer from the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm and then celebrated for your singing voice. And now you're playing this this new instrument here. How did you come to develop your chops, your your Steve Howe guitar solo chops on the, <laughs> the four-string tenor guitar? Because it's, like it's really been key. I think of
4: myself as more of a Paul Butterfield of guitar. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
4: no, I, I have really tiny fingers, and I tried to play six-string for a lot of years, and I never really got anywhere, because I, I couldn't stretch out enough to make anything that really sounded like an actual song, because you kind of have to get to that point to keep yourself interested in what you're doing. So I kind of tried and gave up a lot of times. And then I went to record part of Furniture Room Lullaby at a studio in Toronto called The Gas Station that my friend Don Kerr runs. And he plays tenor guitar, and he had some laying around. And, and I said, oh, what's that? It's a tenor guitar. And then the clouds parted, and oh. It's just about making that little bit of progress. It's like the training wheels guitar, you know? to where you can finally be upright by yourself without your dad holding your seat. <laughs> right, you know? right.
0: Well, well, the reason I bring it up, it seems to me like, has that been a key for you in terms of the songwriting? Because with each album, it seems like you're becoming playing a bigger and bigger role, and not just as a singer, but as a songwriter, as well as a producer. And has the guitar been a key in making that transition to, into writing more original songs?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm a lot more in charge of my own phrasing vocally when I do a lot of the writing on the guitar, but... On this last record, I actually uh, wrote with other people more because I felt kind of lonely. <laughs> so I'd st- I'd still write on the guitar with them, but often I would fire myself from playing guitar on the actual song. On the record.
1: Mm-hmm. But I
4: mean, I still played a lot of guitar on the record, but not as much as i did on um, blacklisted
1: why don't you guys play us a tune in, and then i'd like to talk a lot more about the songwriting on on fox confessor brings a F- are you going to play something from that album or what are you going to give us
4: do let's, do, let's do teenage feeling okay. first and, and i don't actually play guitar on this one so you guys can mute it if you want ready
5: mm-hmm. three, three.
3: another, now my heart is green as weeds, grown to outlive their season. Nothing comforts me the same as my brave friend who says, I don't care if forever
1: Wow, that
0: teenage feeling. Kelly Hogan, Paul Rigby, and Nico Case. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, and we're going to be back with more of our conversation with Nico Case plus a live performance. So suddenly
3: the madness came With its whiskered woven He's a pain He locked the door And he shut the blinds. He laid down on the floor and he slept like iron, while the dirty knife wore deep into his spine. Blood runs crack. this is high Polly. Everything's so easy for
1: Polly. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We have more of our discussion with Nico Case. I asked Nico uh, about whether or not her new album, Fox Confessor Brings the Flood, is her darkest. I thought this was your darkest album. Murder ballads and twistedness and and you said, no, it's my most smart-ass album. <laughs> <laughs> kind of.
4: It's my most smart-ass album, yeah, for sure. But I don't know, when you write the songs yourself, you know, you're kind of laughing about stuff. And then people come back and they go, ooh, that's icky. That's scary. <laughs> and then you think, oh, I guess it must be.
1: Well, you had said that a lot of, it, a, a lot of the lyrics were inspired by Russian and Ukrainian folktales that mm-hmm. came down from you, uh, uh, to you from your grandparents.
4: Well, more that I read, my, my grandparents are Ukrainian, but they try to hide it as best they can. They won't speak it or talk about it. But I realized making this record that the way they tell stories is still very Ukrainian, mm. in that uh, they like to leave a lot of things open ended and they kind of focus on the more fabulous angles of things. Mm. You know, just, he went crazy. I don't know. There must have been fairies or I don't know what they think. But they, they like they like to leave things pretty open ended. She was wearing a cape and burning the furniture. That was the last we saw Aunt Dee
1: you know? so. That's a whole concept album right there. And she
4: doesn't mention the part about the fact that there was lead in the drinking water or something, you know, it's just something magical happened. Something evil.
0: So when you're getting these kind of uh using these folktales uh, in the album sort of uh, made to look almost like a book of short stories
4: mm-hmm.
0: or poems or whatever. Uh, you sort of get out of the confessional, woe was me, I love you, he, now he doesn't love me anymore kind of mode of uh, songwriting. <laughs> yeah, I got, I, a l-
4: I got a little bored with that, and I wasn't very good at it, so I thought making up songs about other people would be a lot better. Because, <laughs> you know, trying to write songs like that, I'd just sit there and go, oh, wow, wow, wow. Oh, don't you sound pathetic. And I couldn't really take myself seriously, so, you know.
1: What about the tune we just heard? Where did that teenage feeling come from?
4: Funny you should ask and Paul hates it when people ask cuz the <laughs> song actually came from Paul. He was on his soapbox and he was ranting and it was <laughs> He's excellent. over
1: there. Look at that. There's actual He was. No, going he on. was
4: talking about we were talking about being musicians and how it's really hard to live a normal life like being married or having a family and and he goes, "Yeah, but I'm not going to just get married because I think I have to. And he said it exactly like that. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, I don't care if I ever fall in love again because I know what it's like. But but it has to be like that, like when you're a teenager. Uh-huh.
5: It, was, it was
4: adorable and the coolest thing anybody's ever said. Because uh-huh. most people are kind of into getting married and I'm kind of not. So it makes me feel kind of like mm-hmm. a loser. <laughs> uh-huh. Word. I mean, yeah. I feel you, I know. not word that I you're know. a loser. <laughs> <laughs> word, I feel you.
0: It's a beautiful song, but it's not uh, It's not a conventional verse, chorus, here's the bridge kind of song. And, and not a lot of the songs on this record are that way.
4: It gets in, it gets out, it's got its yeah. scuba suit on.
0: <laughs>
4: Man, it's good. like an oiled seal, it just goes... <laughs> and then it's it's gone. That's great.
0: But does anybody? So Nico, does any, you know anybody in your band or you know one of the people you're working with in the studio? Oh, where's where's the where's the chorus here? Where's the bridge? Are we gonna you know are you gonna rework this a little bit to make it more conventional? You <laughs> no, know, nobody John, says that. John Rawhouse <laughs> just
3: goes. Why are there so many chords? Why can't you just use three? <laughs>
0: <laughs> he
4: lives to yell at me about how many chords are used. <laughs>
0: In addition to having difficulty playing with playing the chords, uh, yeah. they're kind of you... in their
4: infancy as far as their skills. So, are you a
0: dictator when it comes to how the song should be played? And I maybe Paul can no. speak to this and Kelly, who have no. been in the studio with you. Generally, the
4: only uh, guidance I give is: Can you do that more? Will you do okay. that more? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't. I don't really have much musical lingo. I I'm not trained or anything, so you know, I have to make up. Uh, feelings to describe it sounds so hippie and bad oh that green note paul make it greener
0: <laughs> is that true paul you had to play a green note it's on this room <laughs> i played all the spectrum the whole he prism really of killers what, what does a green note sound like can you play one for Phonus. us I, I would think that it sounds something <laughs> like that maybe kind of cool. right, so what would a purple note Man, uh, <laughs> yeah, I get paid for this. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Don't abuse me. I'm not a show It's <page laughs> an advertisement man, for your dance. dance, session. dance.
0: He's not going to give away all the Paul Rigby Sorry. secrets on no, the air. That's right. Very Wait, smart. If he's
4: going to change the face of guitar playing, he's going to do it on his own time. <laughs> yeah. there you
0: go.
4: He doesn't give it away.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> is, is there as much fun as we're having in the studio? Is that what it was like when you were recording in Tucson?
4: Most of the time, yes, and there was a couple times where poor Paul and I were kind of holed up in my house (laughs) watching TV till 6 a.m., trying to finish a couple songs that we had heard so many times that we couldn't hear them anymore. So it's kind of like trying to rewire your submarine in the dark. (laughs) You know, you're just under the the water and you're like, we're going to (laughs) drown. There's 24 men on board who are going to die if we don't do this right. And I'm going to get electrocuted because there's water
1: all over the floor. Why don't you guys give us another tune?
4: Uh, We'll do Margaret versus Pauline. How about that? Great. All right, then.
3: Everything so easy for Pauline Everything so easy for Pauline Agent strings that feel like speeders speeder Such mild grace and a monument of tacky gold They smoothed her hair with cinnamon ways and they placed an engage cradle and then rolls with her tender paws to savor everything's so easy for Pauline girl with the parking lot I Margaret is the fragments of a name is mistaken for the thrashing in the lake and the make-believe Monster's picture was fake. Margaret is the fragments of a name. Her love blows like a fountain, her love steams like rain. Her aches from wanting, and she's sick from glory, but she'll never be as clean as the cool side of Satin, Pauline. one left sweater sitting on the train the other lost three fingers at the cannery everything so we
0: Nice. Margaret
1: versus Polly. Now, see, that is not smart-ass. That's frightening. I get scared when you sing about the monsters in the lake. <laughs> well, and then that the... one's not. Scary. And what well, happens, What happened to her fingers?
4: <laughs> yeah. she, I guess she got them near the machinery at the cannery. <laughs> see,
1: that's, 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 I don't know, that's, that song scares me. It has from the first time I heard it. I don't know well, why. you
4: know, there are some people in the world who seem to get everything they want, and it's real easy, and then there are some people who kind of have to fight their way through it.
1: Yep. Yeah, see, I think you're wishing the the, the the negative stuff on the one for whom it's so easy.
4: No, it's actually I I wrote it because of this book that I read, and uh, there was these two characters in the book. And when I was young, I read it, and it just really bummed me out. And then I read it again when I was older, and I realized that the author did it on purpose, which was actually really interesting. He 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 wrote the book, you know, from his point of view, and uh, Margaret was his ex girlfriend. And Pauline was his current girlfriend, and they used to be best friends, and now they're not friends anymore. And, you know, he, he was constantly complaining about Margaret and what, what was so icky about her, and was constantly praising Pauline and how wonderful she was. And, but everything that he complained about about Margaret was kind of the stuff that made her so great. Like, she was really brave, and she really... Uh, he, he didn't like the fact that she hung out with these roughs on the edge of town. Mm. But the fact is, is she kind of befriended these homeless people and was nice to them. And he just thought she was hanging out with scum, but it's never addressed in the book. So basically you get to the end of the book and she kills herself because nobody likes her anymore. But she was actually the nice person. So he leaves it for you to figure that out, which is really great. I thought that was amazing. But but at the end, I was so mad. I was like, poor,
1: poor Margaret. (laughs) Somebody's got (laughs) to stick up for Margaret. So so you wrote this song to stick up for Margaret. I did. What was the book, Nico?
4: It's called "In Watermelon Sugar" by uh, Richard Brodigan. Such a dude. sad. Oh book. Yeah, I, know. I know he's a badass. Yeah, all of his stories are sad yet really beautiful.
0: Mm. But you know, the one thing that's interesting to me that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of moralizing going on in these songs, no. even though there's people getting killed Mm-mm. and there's obviously villains and heroes, and uh, but you don't seem to be like casting judgment on any of them. No, You're and just...
4: that, that's what I really appreciate about Eastern European folktales, tales, mm-hmm. um, is that they they're not judgmental and they're not judeo-christian ethic kind of you know it's either has to be good or bad it's it's more cautionary tales right kind of like native american um folklore as well like they're they're both really heavy on the animal imagery and uh the anybody could screw up kind of (laughs) thing you Mm. know it could happen to you
0: (laughs) exactly watch out (laughs) i know it could happen to you well, and, you know, it's hard, it's hard not to hear this album as sort of like a, a metaphor for what's going on in the world, too. I mean, you know, when you can have people beheaded on YouTube, you know, there's a there's a little bit of reflecting going on here. Maybe not consciously, but it does seem to be kind of uh, metaphorical in the way how some of these tales can sort of apply to what's going on in the world. Well, the nothing world, was written
4: there. consciously as a reaction to that, but I'm sure it is. I mean, there's a good reason that I don't watch television, and that's it <laughs> right there. right. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you can't live in the world and not be affected by people around you. Even if you're some kind of hermit who never talks to anyone else, still you're still a human and you still mm-hmm. get human signals from other places.
0: And yet, I think. Art Bell.
4: I'm getting all Art Bell on <laughs> you. Yeah, sure. yeah,
0: watch out, watch out. Alert, art alert. Uh, what I'm getting at is that when you see the songs performed or when you hear them performed on the record, there's a, your voice and, and Kelly's voice with you. It's very uplifting at the same time. There's almost like a, a, a joy there at the same time. Well, I
4: kind of realized, and maybe it's a bit of, of a device, but sad songs that are performed in a happy manner are about eight times sadder than sad songs performed in a sad manner. But, you know, the songs weren't meant to be overly sad or bring people down. They're kind of just meant to comfort people because that's how I feel about music is that music for me when I was a kid was very comforting. Mm-hmm. Even if it was about negative things, I mean, sometimes you just like to hear that other people are feeling the same way as you or, I don't know. And But at the same time, I don't like to spell it out for people either. Mm-hmm. I like the mystery ending. And, that you know, that's what the fairy tales are, are a lot like, too. They're really open-ended, so you can kind of draw your own conclusions, or there is no conclusion.
1: I, I think, Nico, you, you've struck a chord with rock critics. I mean, certainly Fox Confessor debuted high, or, or finished high, one of the best albums of the year, according to the Village Voice Poll, and dozens and dozens of critics lists. Does that make any impact? I mean, does that freak you out at all? It's like, geez, they're all saying I'm one of the best records of the year. Mm, it, it kind of freaks
4: me out a little. I mean... Those are kind of things I can't understand because they're not super tangible to me either. I mean, I notice a difference if there's more people at the show. Because mm-hmm. newspapers and, and media, you know, you can hold them in your hand. It's a, it's a magazine, but it's not like a place you can go and hang out in. Right. It's right. kind of a concept in a way.
1: And when you're playing a place like the Park West, which is like, what, 1,100 people, and you sold out three nights in a row in Chicago, it's like, wow, well, at least I know 3,000 people 400 people love me.
4: (laughs) It's like when somebody tells you how many records you've sold. I don't have, like, I'm not very good at figuring that out. I'm like, cool. But I don't, I just say it. I don't actually know what it means. I'm like, great. Woo.
1: (laughs) But does it weigh on you when you go back into the studio? Because Blacklisted was very, very well received. And then, you know, you have to follow it up. It's time to make a new record. And Mm -hmm. you're in the same position again now, you know, a couple of years later. Is somewhere in the back of your head saying, "I, I can't suck. Because all these people are saying that uh, I'm I'm good.
4: No, it's it's me going, you can't suck or somebody's going to come and haul you away and lock you up or something. I don't know.
0: No, we've talked you about- can't
4: yeah. suck or so, you'll are, die. Are you, are you, you like- your own
1: harshest critic? Yeah, I was oh, say. yeah, definitely. Okay.
4: If I was taking myself seriously, I suppose there'd be... I don't know. Somebody talking to you for me, and I would be in a a bath right now. (laughs) In
1: fact, that
0: sounds
4: really. I can't be bothered to go in. (laughs) That sounds really appealing, doesn't it?
1: So, when is this new album uh, that you're in the midst of recording and not working on at the moment, but right now, otherwise?
4: Oh, that's funny that you should ask. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Probably September of 2008, if things go according to plan, because September of 2007 is the new pornographers' release. So okay i got to give that one a wide berth, because we're going to be on tour for a while.
1: Are you going to tour with the pornography? Oh, yeah.
3: Driving home, I see those flooded fields.
1: Thank you so much, guys, for, for coming in. Uh, Kelly Hogan, Nico Case, Paul Rigby, it's a treat.
3: You're welcome. Thanks for having Thanks, us. i dudes. taken it for granted, my whole life, since the day I was born.
0: On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So if you have opinions about our interview with Nico Case or anything else we've covered on the show, email us at interact at soundopinions.org or leave us a voicemail on our hotline, 888-859-1800. Coming
1: up, we're going to review the newest from Super Producer and Greg's man crush, Timbaland, his much-hyped solo record. And I'll have a Desert Island jukebox pick. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
3: So please who married me to these often good it's not for you to know, but for you to weep and wonder when the death of your civilization precedes you.
1: You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. It's time to review some Timberland.
6: I'ma let these know. I've been killing them with these beaks, now I'm spitting them kill a flow. What you know about me, dawg? Not a damn thing. got a problem, so you can see me in the streets, dog. I'm on one man game. I done been on both sides of the track. You can say I changed the game. A lot of niggas try to get in my lane. Everybody asking me the same old thing, what they say. It.
0: That is O Timbaland from Timbaland, extolling himself, lead track on his fifth studio record, Timbaland Presents Shock Value, the highest profile release yet from Timbaland, a.k.a. Tim Mosley, 35-year-old Norfolk, Virginia native, best known as a behind-the-scenes guy in the the music industry as opposed to a, a solo artist in his own right. You may not know who Timbaland is, but you sure as heck have heard his music. Missy Elliott, Ludacris, Aaliyah, Nelly Furtado, Justin Timberlake, countless dozens of artists who have had hits with the Timbaland production touch in the last decade. Uh, Basically, since 1996, he has been one of the dominant producers in the business. And for my money, Jim, the best. Not only getting commercial sales, but really pushing the edge of what pop radio will allow. Avant-garde production approach. Off-kilter beats sci-fi sound effects just really odd soundscapes that he's managed to turn into commercial gold. I we're think really he's had the best out of, of both worlds.
1: Uh, what those electronica techno artists, you know, I mean in some ways there's a lot of
0: Aphex Twin in what he's doing, Absolutely. but he's doing it in the pop spectrum. I mean, we we brought brought it all the way back when we did the Revolver show on the 40th anniversary of the Beatles recording Revolver, one of the most innovative production records ever. You can draw a straight line I think from what the Beatles and George Martin were doing in the studio in the 60s to what Timbaland is doing in the studios now in the 21st century. I think he's that good. And now he's he's a solo artist. He's had one of the biggest years of any producer ever with the huge hits last year for Nelly Furtado and Justin Timberlake. He's been featured on the Timberlake tour this spring in the middle of Timberlake's set Timbaland takes the stage and does like a 30-minute TJ set, yeah, yeah. which isn't exactly the high point of that show. Shows you what kind of esteem an artist like Timbaland is held when an artist like Justin Timberlake gives over a good chunk of his show to him. And so, now he's now he's gearing up uh, Tim Timbaland to work with Coldplay. Yeah, I mean... Along the, with Brian Eno. Everybody wants to work with this guy, it seems. He's had four releases prior to this none of which were particularly high profile but now everybody's paying attention to uh, Timbaland they want to know what he's doing he's dialed up his Rolodex and brought in all his (laughs) all his friends everybody who ever owed him everybody exactly everybody who ever owed him, except Jay-Z I heard uh, Jay-Z the Jay-Z thing didn't work out but just about everybody else that he's worked with let's play a track from Timbaland Presents Shock Value with two of those friends Justin Timberlake and Nelly Furtado on Give It To Me
3: Back to Montauk on Wall
1: Give it to me by Timbaland from Timbaland Presents Shock Value. Greg, as you said, he's done what are essentially solo albums several times in his career before, usually with his buddy, this rapper, who's strictly a B-level talent, Magoo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is the first time where Timberland is in the spotlight because of his phenomenal successes, and this is going to be like his first real solo album. And what does he do with it? Well, it's weird. That's one of the pleasures on this album, uh, what we just heard, Give It To Me. Although lyrically, it's, it's got some problems. I'll talk about that in a minute. First off, what does he do musically? first third of the album is devoted pretty much to hip-hop club jams. Middle third of the album is devoted pretty much, and this goes pretty evenly, right down into thirds. Mid-tempo R&B, very snoozy. Last third of the album... We're in outer space. He's doing these weird <laughs> yeah. rock pair ups. He does a track with the Swedish garage band The Hives. He does a track with Chicago pop punk's Fallout Boy that sounds like a reject from their le- recent disc. He pairs up with Elton John. And as I said, he's getting ready to work with Coldplay. So he has this band One Republic come on and do a fake Coldplay <laughs> song. It's weird. It's not successful. The r and B's is not very good. The first third of the album is pretty strong with tracks like uh, Release and Give It To Me and Bounce. But Timbaland shouldn't rap. He is not a good rapper. He's even worse as a singer and even more disappointing than being a mediocre talent. Because let's face it, Kanye West is a great sonic architect too, but not necessarily a wonderful rapper. Timbaland has nothing to say he devolves into this tawdry sexism of the basest most clichéd sort and then on top of that in between he's taking a little breaks to tell us how great he is again and again and again we even just heard some of that i get half a million for my beats you get a couple of grand you know he's picking a, a fight with fellow producer scott storch mm-hmm. you're timbaland man you are king of the mountain you don't have to keep telling us how great you are and you don't have to lay into that horn dog routine no. so base it, it's man what if anything it makes me admire him less
0: Yes. It is disappointing I mean he is not a rapper Kanye West I think Has actually proven himself To be a pretty credible rapper The personality is there Timbaland's personality On the other hand Is kind of depressing On this record In the past He'd come across As sort of this Cuddly otherworldly Kind of guy This one he's petulant self-aggrandizing. I mean, some very unattractive traits are coming out in this record. He also doesn't seem to know how to deal with these collaborators. Are they full-fledged collaborators on this record, or are they just pieces in this big chess game that I'm playing on my solo record? He's not really clear about that. I think Furtado and Timberlake and Missy Elliott, the big three guest stars on this record, have all done much better work with Timbaland on their own respective releases. And they're sort of in the background on this particular well, release. Yeah, I
1: was doing some research when I was getting ready to review this album, and I read some reviews where all of those artists you just mentioned talked about working with Timbaland. And one of the things they say about Tim Mosley is he is a true collaborator. He drew things out of me that were there that I wouldn't have emphasized, but he heard. Right. So, so one of his trances as a producer is drawing great things out of the people he's working with but I think you're right they all came into his project and figured I'm here to help you you made me a a millionaire you made me on the top of the charts what do you want from me and he was like I don't know I don't yeah. think he
0: knows who Timbaland is. I don't think he knows either. You're absolutely right. Ditto for those rock tracks. I was intrigued. What is Timbaland going to sound hives. like with the hives? <laughs> well, not too interesting. No. I mean, he turns the hives, you know, he turns Pelly of the hives, one of the most dynamic lead singers of the last decade, into a background singer. Just shouting Just out some Just chanting some stuff on, and, on the back of this uh, track. I really want to get to know you. That's
6: what I told you. Girl, you know I don't play. I want to put it to your mom, Girl, you better do.
1: I think Greg, we rate things: buy it, burn it, trash it. It pains me to say it. This is a burn it record at best, maybe even a trash it. Uh, that first third is why I'm giving it the burn it. The the second two thirds of the album uh, stink.
0: I, I I think it's a trash it, Jim. I, I think. Oh, I know it kills you to say that too. Uh, it does. I think he's a he's a major major artist. This is a huge disappointment. But I can't help but think that every one of these artists has done better work somewhere else. With Timbaland You know and, and on this record They come together And it's just it's, it's just a huge disappointment
1: That's a trash it from Greg It's killing him to say it uh, <laughs> I'll stick with Burn It But only the first third Of the record I tell you
6: little buddy This whole island Is bewitched
2: Remember we
0: were shipwrecked together? It's time to pop a quarter in the Desert Island Jukebox and this week it is Jim goddess's turn. Well Greg, we've had a lot of Nina Simone
1: uh, seeping through the cracks on this show. Amy Winehouse wants to be Nina Simone. The track we started our Timbaland review with, he uh, was sampling Nina Simone. Look I am all for referencing Rock's past, but I want to know that we are living in the present and we are moving toward the future. And I think that all the stuff that's being said about Winehouse and bringing this hip-hop attitude to the classic early 60s, it's all a load of hooey, okay? (laughs) Uh, I'll give you a band that did it a couple years ago and did it better. Portishead. Portishead was an interesting collaboration, an English duo that came out in the midst of a movement that was dubbed trip-hop, kind of taking some cues from American hip-hop, but making it English, swirling and psychedelic and a little lazier, a little more laid back, very bucolic and uh, mother country, you know what I mean? Jeff Barrow was a really talented young guy at the time. He was from Bristol, England, which which was uh, Trip Hop Central. He uh, got his start making tea for the members of Massive Attack in their studio. (laughs) They were really the cornerstone band of of trip-hop. He went on to uh, contribute some to nana Cherry's Homebrew album. Remember that one? That I almost, I wanted to play that one. I'm going to have to save that for another week. Then he decided to make some music of his own, and he got together with a woman named Beth Gibbons, who was only 20 at the time. He auditioned some 20 vocalists, and he loved her. She was doing this bluesy kind of torch song balladry in a cover band in Bristol. So the two of them got together, and what they were doing was building on that kind of cinematic James Bond soundtrack, Shirley Bassey, Space Age bachelor pad, cocktail music thing, Swing in London in the early 60s, pre-mod revival and soul and R&B, uh, taking that and mixing it with this American hip-hop as filtered through a very English, laid-back, melodic, psychedelic sensibility. I think it was an incredible sound. It turned out to be a fairly limited sound. Portis had never really got any better than their first album, but boy, was that first album a masterpiece. And I'm going to play as my Desert Island Jukebox track the song Sour Times. Thanks for indulging me, Greg. Portis head. The track is uh, Sour Times from Dummy. 1994 that album came out. Seems like just yesterday. Hard to
0: believe. Uh, great choice, Jim, and uh, I do love that record, and uh, the tour after that was mind-blowing. I-, I wish that band would come back together, and uh, I understand they are working on some new material, so we'll see. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, because they played live with the band. They didn't just do it with samples, yep. so it was good stuff. What do we got next week on the show? A man who never used samples, Booker T. Jones. He was uh, one of the great Hammond organ players of all time, and played a bunch of other instruments as well, too. The, uh, the backbone of of the Stax record sound of the 60s. We had the privilege of interviewing him at the recent South by Southwest Music Conference, and we will bring you the highlights of that interview next week.
1: Greg, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. As always, Sound Opinions is expertly produced by Todd Bachman, Matt Spiegel, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. We get some legal help from Dino Armiros. Nico Case's performance was recorded by Mary Gaffney and Sarah Toulouse. And uh, our fearless leader is Tori Southside-Malatea, who I think was supposed to be on that Timbaland record.
0: On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. Hey,
6: how you doing? Sorry I can't get through. i'll not you leave your name and your number, and I'll get back to you.
2: New messages.
1: Hello, this is Paul from Chicago, and this is my Sound Opinion. I'm calling about the March 31st show, where you discuss the Copyright Royalty Board hearings. I'm a member of the local bluegrass band, Tangleweed, and we've really benefited from having our music played on internet radio. Earlier this year, one of the bookers for the Wakarusa Festival, which is a major festival down in Lawrence, Kansas, he heard us on Pandora.com. He liked what he heard, and after doing a little bit more research, he gave us a call and hired us to come down and play
0: their 2007 festival
1: for a band like ours that played regional and, and local festivals last year the equalizing elements of internet radio has really given us a boost into bigger and better opportunities. Thanks a lot. Bye.
0: Hey, this is Joe from Oak Park. just wanted to thank you guys for exploring the Elephant 6 catalog. Uh, I absolutely love Neutral Milk Hotel and Livvy Tremor Control constantly playing them for my friends who have never heard them don't know how they miss such great bands so it was wonderful to hear it on the air and hopefully we can get more people listening to that great stuff from the mid-90s take care bye
1: Hi, my name is Tracy Harkins from Chicago, and um, I just wanted to call and thank you guys for uh, talking about the bands that are very important to me. Um, as a person who has pretty much had their life changed by Neutral Milk Hotel, I truly appreciate uh, profiling all at 6.
0: Hi, this is Ken Krimstein, I'm calling from New York City. I had never heard of RhymeFest.
6: Straight out of high school, we didn't know what to do. Wanted to go to college, but no money was nothing new. Wanted to get away, go see the world and do something new. He got approached in the mall by the Army recruit. Told him if you want to go to school, we got money too. Sign up at 18, you'll be out when you're 22. He joined the Army Airborne, got his uniform with the boot camp. Got some discipline,
0: I rock this for them. Whoa. The when I heard him and his singing, I was just totally blown away.
6: I Listen to that. I listen to Robert Johnson and Nina Simone and Nat King Cole. You know, isn't it great after being out late, walking my baby back home, arm and arm over Meadow and Farm, walking my baby back home.
0: And uh, my suggestion is that maybe he go old, old, old school and – Put down an album of him singing.
6: We go along harmonizing a song, or I'm reciting a poem. Piles go by and they give me the eye. Walking my baby back home, <laughs> like that was lyrics. That was like you didn't have to say, I wanna get f- in your booty, girl, in your booty, girl, get f- in your booty. girl. <laughs> it was like, yo, you can actually like infer something and know what he was talking about.
0: Cannot wait to listen to the rest of the stream and uh, great stuff. This is Caleb. From Alabama, I'm calling to ask y'all to stop using the word twee. I don't know what that word means. Thanks. No
1: more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.